You're listening to The Issues Podcast. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This is an episode of The Issues Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Russ, Tom Brennan, and Martin Wickens. This meeting is being live streamed. Yes, we are live. Welcome. Welcome to the live stream, gentlemen. Great. Yeah, I was, yeah. We were about to send the young guy over there to help you with your tech issues, brother, brother Russ. You know, I, I've had my fair share this year. Let's just let's just tell everybody I'm I'm not not on my game. Definitely not. We were actually talking for what uh, a good five minutes before we realized we weren't even live on Facebook. We put all our best stuff out already. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's all downhill so. from here. Yeah. It was already downhill, but, uh, but yeah, now we're, now we are live. That's I'm glad I checked while Tom was talking about something that I didn't really care about. So, um, that worked out perfectly. Y'all missed, missed Reverend Wiggins chicken. Yes. Why didn't you put that back up? He's chicken. I, I could. Yeah. I'm chicken. No, I actually, no, for some reason I was thinking of, go ahead. No, I was thinking about uh, electorophobia, the fear that somewhere there's a chicken watching you. <laughs> it's a real thing. Why would anyone be afraid of that? I, I can't, I don't get it. There's all kinds of weird and wonderful phobias out there. Yes, there are. And for some reason you picked that one to bring. <laughs> Here's my favorite background though. <laughs> for some reason I've got a whole list, but this is, this is one of my favorites. See, I'm glad you're doing this anyway. right now. No, nobody's watching yet. Anyway, I mean, we're we're on Facebook Live, but it's just it's taking a minute. So people will. Now we've got in. six. We've got six uh, watching us. So, oh, they're man. out there. So wow. give a shout out to Sheffy if you're a fan. I know some Christians who've never watched the movie or don't even like it if they have, and I just it, I treat them like people who don't like Chick Fil A. Like there's just something wrong. Yeah, you know, actually, what's funny is uh, just um, last night. At, uh, at church, our, our mutual friend, Marty Montgomery, joined us for services in the evening. You know, he gets more mentions on this podcast than just about any of our friends. And I, I don't know if that's a good thing, but um, anyway. He's a great uh, guy. He's a fantastic guy. I love him. He's actually the only friend that we have. Yeah, that's possible. <laughs> that's quite possible. But uh, he was here and he brought up Sheffy or somebody did, him or Heather, someone, one of the two. And my wife said, I've still never seen it. At this really? point, she just, what? yeah, she's never seen it. Wow. They actually they actually questioned her ACE uh, Christian school status at that point. I have to agree with that. I, I don't know what kind yeah. of school she went to, but there, there's definitely some flaws there. That's uh, she, troubling. She must have. She, she grew up on the left coast, didn't she, out there? She, yeah, the, the Northwest. Liberals. The Northwest. Absolutely. Where, mm-hmm. where Starbucks and all that comes from. So. Right. So uh, we should the have Devil's Juice Box. Yes. <clears throat> so we had a good day yesterday. I, I'm assuming all of us did, but uh, I know we did here at our church. Tell it was, us about it. Well, it was Palm Sunday, and we don't do anything uh, terribly uh, outlandish for Palm Sunday, but um, we do acknowledge it. And I, I like, I just like the significance of how it kind of kicks things off for Easter, really builds up to it. And so I preached on the triumphal entry yesterday, and quite frankly, um, I learned a lesson I'd love to share with our our viewers and listeners today, and that is that. Um, Planning and preparation produces creativity. Okay. So sometimes we sit around waiting for ideas to come to us and that rarely works. 
But by the way, Scott Petty says, I'm jealous of anyone who's never seen Sheffy. That's a funny comment. Um, we can ban but, people from the page, can't we? Let me yeah, check and see. Absolutely. Or find them, yeah. at least find them. Like At least find them, right. Pay us a quarter. I got PayPal. So back to my Bitcoin. lesson. Sorry. Back to my lesson. Thanks for the you, distraction, you, Scott. Um, the lesson is, is that I had a, a sermon outline all ready to go Sunday morning. Uh, I left it sitting on my desk Saturday night. I mean, I thought, wow, I thought this is, this is unlike me. I'm, I'm ready to roll. Walked in on Sunday morning, went a completely different direction. And uh, a direction that I had decided not to go, actually, but I preached on the donkey. I did. I preached on lessons from a donkey. It was pretty cool. It went well. That's I'll take, a, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> yeah. The first <laughs> thing that everyone's thinking is, well, how unbiblical was that sermon? <laughs> <laughs> not a question of if, it's a question of how. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what. But I, I actually feel as if we we passed all of the smell tests. We uh, we did due diligence to the text. We brought out some good practical lessons. We covered the the interpretation of the passage. We gave the sense of all of that, and uh, I'm I'm pretty uh, pretty satisfied with where it was. I'm sure someone can go pick it apart. The only thing I didn't have was a live donkey. So hey, we at least we left that part out. I, I was gonna say like you know you could have brought in like a real donkey and just made it yeah. a very powerful illustration. Well, I'm not going to lie. I did message someone in our church who has uh, quite a bit of livestock and they said they didn't have one. So it, it just didn't work out. <laughs> but, but then the, the second part was last night we went to um, um, church last night. And of course I told you, you know, we had guests there and all that. We baptized three in the evening service. We started doing that on Sunday nights as a way of emphasizing the importance of baptism And Mm -hmm. I put it at the very beginning of the service, which is probably the least practical place to put it because of how they have to exit, you know? And so we actually baptize and then dismiss for four or five minutes and just have a fellowship time. It's not like the old handshaking time. It's just, Hey, stand up fellowship, talk to folks if you want. And, um, and then we restart the service with a congregational song and get, get it going. After we did that, we had the Lord's table and we've been doing, this for several years now where the whole service is basically scripture reading and songs um, and uh, observance of different passages of scripture in remembrance of the crucifixion. Yeah. I love doing that. There's so many things. Um, one of these days I'm going to go through Zechariah through all the messianic prophecies in Zechariah, but I, I didn't do that yesterday. That was, that took a little more brain power, I think, than what I had going for me last night. But um, man, I've never seen a more, more excited group of Baptists than what we had Amen. last night. I mean, even the even the visitors had their hands raised. It was pretty cool. So yeah, we had a good day, really good day. Looking forward to the rest of this week and Easter services and outreaches and all that the rest of the week. So thankful for what the Lord did for us here in Evansville. We're doing one of those services Wednesday night. We did it for the first time last year and uh, it just was a real blessing. I think to our people, I know it certainly was to me and we have numbers of different men come up and read scriptures and then we just sing in between those scriptures and we we uh, we really enjoyed that. Looking forward to it again on Wednesday night. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great services. Honestly, I had people tell me last night, man, pastor, you, that was a great sermon you preached. And I'm like, well, right. I'm glad to hear that that's one of the better ones. All we did was read the Bible. I made a few comments along the way, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything, um, you know, complex or, or anything like that. So really enjoyed it. How did, how did your guys' Sundays go? Well, the Wiccans, you are doing some renovation over there. You guys, are you still having church in your in your fellowship hall? Is that right? 
Yes. Yeah. So everything kind of feels a little bit in upheaval. Uh, and I've tried to acknowledge that I'm doing a sermon series called Under Construction, just kind of recognize <laughs> what's going on in the physical building and think about what the Lord is doing with us. Um, but no, it was a good day. Really good, good spirit, good fellowship. Um, our kind of Easter events are really going to come later in the week on Wednesday. I'm going to um, look at the the final week of Christ's earthly ministry leading up to the crucifixion. And then on Sunday, we'll have a focus on the resurrection. But on Thursday, no, Friday, we have our kind of Easter family event. And one of the the ladies in the church and, and the, her husband, the deacon, um, they've been working just super hard on putting together a program where there are different rooms in the building that people can go into and just kind of look at, you know, experiencing something that speaks about the, the story of the gospel. And so we have that on Friday. And so I'm looking forward to that. And um, so, yeah, we, we didn't really do too much yesterday. I almost changed my message at the last moment because, you know, I, I did a scripture reading on the uh, the triumphal entry just to recognize the the, the day. Um, and then one of the ladies and three, uh, three girls sang a special on that theme. And I almost at the last minute was going to change mm. things up. But but no, we, we're going to do that Wednesday. But it was a good day still, uh, really good fellowship and just praising the Lord for what he's doing here. That construction project y'all are doing, that's not going to mess up with what your plans are for Friday night. Or you just have to work around that. It has complicated it because where we're having church in the, the fellowship hall, we're going to have to put away 150 seats. We're going to have to put everything away mm. that we've been using for regular services on Thursday and then construct. We, we literally have rooms that we build within rooms and then we'll have the event Thursday uh, Friday, sorry. And then Saturday, we'll take it all back down again and set back up for church. So I feel like kind of a a missionary how some of these guys have to set up for church every week. Yeah. Um, you know, definitely to be commended for them. I know that's that's a lot of extra labor. Yep. Absolutely. Tom, did, how did your day go? We had an excellent day yesterday. Uh, we had several saved, which is always a blessing. Yeah. And I never... I never look past those. Uh, my children's church director came to me before the service Sunday night with several cards of folks who had gotten saved, and that was just warmed our hearts. And mm. uh, but I was I was meditating yesterday. I was sitting in the in the auditorium before one of the services, drinking some tea, and everybody around me was happy. And yeah. uh, just what a blessing it is to be a part of a happy church. We're not a perfect church, yeah, but it's genuinely a happy church. I think I think if you were to come, I think you would sense that, especially if you came early, and. I think that's connected to being a church that's evangelistic, that's after people with the gospel. Mm-hmm. We run a couple of buses. We have a very active addictions program. We have two weekly soul winning times. And I would guess that probably half our membership in some way, form or fashion is after people with the gospel. Wow. And that is just, that just makes for a happy church. And it's fun yeah. to be in a happy church, fun to pastor a happy church. We had a guy yesterday in Sunday school, we were taking um, praise and prayer requests before we got started. And, and one of the guys just raised his hand and said, Hey, I got to talk to people about Jesus this week. Yeah. That's and awesome. so that sparked conversation yeah. in the class. And somebody said, really? Like where? And he said, no, nah, just at the park. Just got to pray with someone. He said, I've never done that before. That's and it phenomenal. was awesome to, to see that. And then, of course, last night, the baptism of the three that we baptized. Right. And then after the Lord's table, um, just nobody left immediately. I mean, it, it was it was great because all the people who got baptized had a, had a crowd of people around them. And they were being welcomed and and just you know loved on and and you're right you know it's uh it's it's got to be 
we've got to be churches that are that are after people with the gospel. So great updates from yesterday. We want to get into the heart of what we want to talk about today. And part of that is always for our live podcast, of which people, by the way, will be listening to later. We put this on audio and upload it tomorrow. But for our live podcast, we want to do a little fan mail and feedback. We've had a little more feedback over the last week than we usually do. And Tom's grinning. Uh, so he wants to get after this and share share where we've been and what we've been talking about and uh, and how that's looked for us for a while. Take it away. The challenge was to figure out what to respond to in this particular live episode. Yeah. We, we work hard at responding to private messages and things of that nature and, and even comment threads on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, we try to keep a good spirit. We do it. Most of the time we succeed. Sometimes we don't. But I've divided this feedback in fan mail into three sections. Uh, I'm going to call this the Clint Eastwood edition. <laughs> so we have the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yes. And I'm not referencing the three of us. I'm referencing. I was going to ask which uh, which categories do each of us fall into. If Obvious, you have to ask, it? yeah. If you have to ask, then you know <laughs> you're in trouble. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's like you know if you have to ask how much that costs, you can't afford it. You know, you just mm. that's just where you're at. So for the good section, we'll start with the good section. I actually had three different things for the good section. One was a reaction we got from someone. This is several weeks ago to a podcast in which they they wrote us and said, we really enjoy it. I feel like I'm sitting at a table with friends. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't want to speak for you two guys, but for me, that aims at sort of the sweet spot of what we're trying to accomplish, which is this is not a message, not a lecture, not a class. It's a conversation. And, and right. mm -hmm. you know, the three of us know each other. We like each other and enjoy each other's company. And we want our our listeners to feel like we're just sharing that together. What? Right. Oh, I, Mostly? Good. Mostly? Yeah, go for it. All right. Okay. And you, and you do want to add anything to that? I, I agree that that is what we're shooting for. That's what we're aiming at. Yeah. Okay. And I think it's, you know, we, we do our utmost to be prepared and, and to give a biblical basis for everything we do, but we're not going to pretend that we're coming along here as experts in anything. No. You know, we are... Right. We're pastors, we're believers, we're students of the Bible. And like I said, it's a conversation. And by the grace of God, we want to get things right in a in a friendly manner. Was that the um was that feedback from the episode we did on Habakkuk? I um, think it was. Yeah, I that, to go back God, and look my notes, but I think so. First time we've done that where we just sat down and studied through a passage of scripture, in this case, the one of the minor prophets, and really just kind of walked through it on the fly and uh, got so much positive feedback from that. I was, I was really kind of amazed because I thought, oh, I don't know if this is going to interest anyone, but of course it did. It interested pastors, interested teachers. Um, so yeah, thanks for the feedback on that to whomever shared that with you. Okay. So the second part of the good feedback is we had an overwhelmingly positive response to our podcast last week. I've forgotten what the subject was. Either you guys mm. remember? Mm -mm. No, Martin, Great wasn't piece. it your idea? What? It's a grape juice. <laughs> Thank you. I, I think it may have been my idea. No, it really was overwhelmingly positive. Not that there wasn't negative, but it was overwhelmingly right. positive. I, and mm. for me, and yeah, I don't want to speak for you two guys, but for me, it was the most positive part of the feedback was not the people who said, I agree with you or mm -hmm. you said it well. For me, the most positive part, and I like those, but for me, the most positive part of the feedback was somebody who said, I hadn't thought of that. That made me look at that mm -hmm. differently. That helped me, you know, especially, you know, younger folks who maybe haven't wrestled with these issues a whole lot uh, to mm -hmm. have strengthened their faith in the word of God and their understanding of the word of God, their application of the word of God. That's just phenomenal. Yeah. And I appreciated those who even said, 
you know, they didn't necessarily agree with all of our points and conclusions, but they appreciated the tone that we took. And, yep. you know, we, we want everyone to agree with us, of course, on biblical matters, but if we can still find common ground to, to at least have a conversation on, you know, that to me is a, a positive as well. I 100% agree with that. There were some who would maybe even take the same conclusion that we would take, but didn't agree with a couple of the points we made or whatever. Sure, and right. they were, yeah. there were several who were kind about that, or at least they were not mm-hmm. unkind. And I thought that was a very positive thing, especially on a topic that's so extremely inflammatory, um, which for the life of me, I don't know why it is, but I won't grind the ax. We already did that. So overwhelmingly positive response. I would agree with that. That was, and even as of this morning, had a pastor reach out and say, thank you for doing this. Thank you for the biblical study on it. Um, and then share it. And uh, as if he had maybe just, just come across it, you know, so uh, we continue to, to see that. And then the third part of the head for the good, for the good, bad, and the ugly, the third of the good is uh, we do have a growing listener base and we appreciate that. We appreciate mm-hmm. more and more folks tuning in. I don't mean today in this episode. I just mean looking back over the past 10 or 12 weeks, we've been putting out how many episodes we've we done, Brother Russ? Oh, 13. Yeah. Something like that. Anyway, it's, 13. it's been, it's been gradually growing and we're, we're grateful for that and happy about that. We're mm-hmm. not trying to reach a certain number, but we're happy about that. Along those lines, I just checked this morning, the episode that we did on um, to abstain or not to abstain, right? On alcohol has actually eclipsed all of the download numbers of the rest of our um, episodes of the entire year. So since January, all of the episodes we've uploaded, the highest, most downloaded episode is last week's episode. And that's after only six days. Um, so when you say there's a, an increasing listener base, um, I, I would say that we've, we've strived to be slightly less controversial this season than we've been in past seasons. Um, we've tackled some things that are just more of a general interest as opposed to, in, you know, more, um, controversial or whatever. And of course the one we talked about last week was definitely controversial. So to see that, uh, at least the response and downloads and, with the the majority of the feedback being positive or gracious in tone. Um, yeah, just really grateful for that. And uh, thankful that thankful that we have so many folks who tune in and contribute. Your feedback really is important to us. Right. And so that leads then from the good section of the feedback to the bad section of the good and bad and the ugly. And that is, and we've gotten this several times, we're conscious of it. I think we do have a defense to offer, but it needs brought up. And that is that we are too focused on pastors, mm-hmm. on helping pastors, on discussing things pastors want to discuss and things of interest to pastors or talking from a pastor perspective. And I think it's a, I think it's a, a really fair criticism. Yep. And uh, so we'll, I'll throw that to you too, how you plan to apologize for that. I just brought it up. I'll let you guys apologize and come up with a plan to do better. Martin's better at apologizing. He's British. I apologize for nothing. I apologize for nothing. Um, <laughs> matter of fact, no, that, I'm just kidding. that was something he what? said just recently in an episode. That was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. What are we Canadian? No, it is. <laughs> it is true though. Um, we do want to make sure that we don't become hyper focused on issues only relating to our particular perspective. Right. And and I, you know, so we do want to make sure that we are approaching things in a way that that's applicable not only for pastors and leaders and churches, but for people as they go out to work, whether it's in an office or a grocery store or a hospital, whatever it may be. Um, 
you know, so th- that's something we want to try and, and refocus. And we are pastors, you know, this is so much of what takes up our time and, and kind of mental energy. And so we are always going to lean that way. But I mm-hmm. think we want to make sure we, we do kind of redress things a little bit. Uh, even some of the folks in our comments right now, Steve Clark saying that he shares it with the people in his church. I've got church members who listen. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. I, I know I have family members who are not pastors who listen and enjoy it. Um, if anything, I, I think that it would be impossible for us to separate out what we do from what we're doing, right? So even this podcast today, we started off talking about how our day went yesterday at church. Right. right. So if anything, I guess the um, maybe the way to listen would be, in a sense, maybe someone who's not a pastor, a church member, or otherwise could take take a lesson or two from some of our struggles and realize that pastors are are human beings with with struggles and we don't have all the answers. Um, that's one positive aspect that could be taken from the emphasis on on pastors and ministry and all that. Um, it, it certainly is a ministry podcast. There's no question about it. And that's that's the way that it's evolved, um, probably even the way that it just originated in, a, in and of itself. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's a fair criticism. But at the same time, it's also something that that could be used for good if if it just even stays the way that it is. And I think by ministry, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think by ministry, you mean people who are serving. Mm-hmm. So obviously it goes toward people who are paid ministering, but there are an enormous number of people in our churches who have a tremendous heart for the Lord right? that we think that we could help with different subjects that we discuss that could 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 edify them. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, like like each of you said, it's going to tilt in the direction of who we are because of who we are. And we understand that. But our, our heart is to minister to God's people. Amen. So that's the the bad. Now the ugly is um, the. <laughs> I'm just gonna say what I think. The ugly to me was the illogical reactions we got to our alcohol podcast. Not all the negative. All the negative reactions were not ugly. Right. There were mm-hmm. a lot of negative reactions or disagreement that were not ugly, but there was two particular ways in which I thought a whole lot of that negative reaction was illogical. One was the refusal to address the historical evidence of the fact that there was two different kinds of wine in Jesus time. It's simply written off. It's simply mm-hmm. laughed at. It's mocked. There's I have never yet in all the years I've been talking with people about this had anybody come to me from the pro drinking side of the conversation, the, the, the moderate drinking position and honestly try to, to interact with the evidence that that is available in relation to to two different kinds of wine in Bible times. The second part of it to me was the was the emphasis by some people in their reaction to our alcohol podcast to simply want to run to a couple of obscure passages and build their entire essentially based on their argument, their their entire reasoning for uh, having a moderation, having a moderate position, moderate drinking position based upon obscure Bible passages, which violates not just hermeneutics, it violates just plain biblical approaches. You just don't build your doctrine from the unclear. You build it from the clear and you work your mm-hmm. way back to understand the clear and that insistence. And it wasn't that we didn't address those because we did, or we tried to, you know, our listeners can judge for themselves whether we did it well or not, but we tried to, we didn't ignore them, but the, the insistence on going back to those again and again and again, I mean, if you want to justify a, a, what is 
by all accounts, a dangerous position, a pro drinking position. You've got to come to me with more than just mm-hmm. Deuteronomy 1426 mm-hmm. and first Timothy three verse. What is it? Seven or eight. You've got to come to me with a, with a Bible construct of it. It's such a dangerous thing. Yeah. I, I, I was, was talking uh, to a friend about that passage, even at the weekend, cause he'd listened to it and, you know, by and large agreed with it. Um, but he was, you know, and we were talking and saying, well, okay, let's let's say on the face of it, that means at that feast you can have strong drink. But then you've got to be consistent. You've got to go to Israel, you've got to go to the temple, you've got to make all the sacrifices, and on that basis. But then later on, you know, my friend pointed out they still had to make confession and there were other things going on. So, you know, they they still had to be of a sober mind. So again, I don't think that's what the passage is saying, but even if you say, okay, that means you can have strong drink or then go to Israel, go to the temple. Let's be consistent. Mm-hmm. Once a year. Once a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was a really one. It was a really um, fun podcast to record with you guys. And so thank you for just being, uh, being fun co-hosts. I'll, I'll just give you, give you the credit for, uh, for that. And then it was also fun to to kind of you know mix it up with with some folks who were debating some of the points that we made. We had one particular guy who can sometimes be a little bit of a an antagonist um, or attack some of our our, our mindsets and or uh, philosophies on things. And he just came back with a well reasoned disagreement. I, I was like, hey, I'm I'm good with that. Now, when right. I was called Satan, that was interesting. Yes. So you know that's just ugly. Like I don't I'm not. Uh, there are certain soteriological positions that I do not take, but I don't refer to those who do take them as Satan. And I thought, mm-hmm. man, so on this issue, I'm a Bible denier. I'm a Satan. I'm a, you know, he said, to, he said, you're, you're Satan because you twisted scripture. Well, he backed off and said that I was like Satan. He said he forgot the word like, which I was like, wow, thanks. I appreciate that. Well, that makes all the difference. Oh yeah. I was, I was, I was so helped by that. Um, it didn't really bother me, but it did humor me. So um, in the end, there was more good than there was bad or ugly. Uh, there was there was a lot of good. I I don't I think that people like us could easily get thin skin and yes. we could put ourselves out there and say this is our strong position on a tough subject, and then get really upset when we get beat up over it. And that's just simply not how I feel about it. I can't speak for Martin, but that's not how I feel about it. And uh, <laughs> we we had a good time recording it, talking about it, and discussing it. And uh, there were some great things there. There's there's also some good feedback going on right now uh, online on Facebook. Uh, Jason asked if we're pastas or pane. What? And then there was uh, uh, <laughs> he's from Florida. Yeah, Florida man. I love it. That's it. Uh, good friend Jason there. And then Brock Henry, pastors up in uh, your state, Martin. He says we need to do a podcast on ecclesiastical separation, especially secondary separate separation. When to separate from a brother who's going the wrong direction. And I think that that would actually make for a good discussion. So we probably need to put that on our list. Uh, Jens Heiberg, who was an old classmate of mine from uh, Golden State Baptist College, said that he shared our uh, alcohol podcast with the uh, singles in his church and uh, more more as well there. Um, yeah, Steve Clark backing up the suggestion from Brock Henry that we should possibly do something on, on secondary or ecclesiastical separation. So that is uh, something we'll take into account and we appreciate all the input and the feedback. And we hope that folks will keep giving us feedback because of what we're about to discuss for today. We're going to jump into a discussion on, um, well, Tom, it was your idea. Why don't you explain the, the concept of what we're talking about today? 
So we've titled this the misunderstood Jesus or the most misunderstood, the most misunderstood thing about Jesus. Um, it's essentially just a way of looking at Christ's life and seeing how it applies to us. Uh, so what do you think? And we each have our have have our idea that we'll bring up to discuss, but we're really interested also in our in our listeners' ideas here at this point. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the most misunderstood thing about the life of Jesus Christ? And why is it important that it not be misunderstood? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Martin had a really good way to start this one off. Something about uh, John chapter two. Is that right, Martin? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I handed those over to you, I thought. <laughs> well, now that people know they're from you for real, and I'm not just throwing you under the bus, Martin was suggesting that one of the most misunderstood things about Jesus was that he turned the water into alcoholic wine at Cana. <laughs> so. <laughs> We're trying to move past that now at this point. There's no moving past it. This is our new identity. <laughs> yeah. Let's incorporate it into our logo. Uh, I mean, there are there are a lot of things, and it shouldn't come as a surprise that there are uh, misunderstandings, considering that even before Christ's birth, death, burial, and resurrection, the prophecies of the Messiah was that he would be misunderstood. Isaiah 53, such a beautiful passage of scripture, right. lends itself mm. to that idea that he would be misunderstood. And I think that even looking at this, it says he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground, which was so contrary to the idea of how they felt the Messiah would come. He had no form or comeliness. Everyone thought he would be a very attractive, desirable individual, but that wasn't the case. There was no beauty that we should desire in him. He is despised and rejected when in fact they believed he would be accepted and a deliverer. Uh, in his day. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him. People were embarrassed of Jesus. And the Bible says we esteemed him not. And so the under the misunderstood Jesus is nothing new. It's nothing that um, that we should that we should be surprised about. But there are some things that we could talk about today. And uh, so Tom, I'll be honest with you, the one that you gave um, for us to talk about on your topic this morning was the one that I was trying to work up and think on as well. I don't know if we should lead with it, but uh, no, I think we should make brother Wickens lead with his because neither you nor I have any idea what he's talking, what he has to say. So it's just, our reaction is going to be entirely genuine. Yeah. Go ahead, Martin. Well, to be honest, I struggled because I think there's, there are the vital things, but I think most of our listeners are going to, it's not going to be misunderstandings among us or our listeners in terms of, you know, is Jesus the only way of salvation? Well, hopefully everyone listening and our kind of audience is going to know that Jesus is the only way, truth, and the life. And if you're listening to this and you're not convinced of that, then reach out to us in private because that's certainly something we want to address. Um, and there are other things, but I think what was on my mind, and I'll see if I can kind of phrase this right, Um is either when people believe that Jesus is just like them. And I kind of mean that in in kind of a cultural sense. So you get the idea that Jesus was just very American or very English. And you kind of see, you you filter the Bible through a cultural Mm -hmm. perspective. And so you end up, I think there's a danger of being off base. And and in in terms of a, a pastor or a missions context, you end up being an evangelist, not just of the gospel, but of the cultural entrapments that have come with that. 
And they're not all necessarily bad things, but there can be some pretty bad baggage that comes with it. Don't you think that that kind of uh, revealed itself during the Super Bowl with the he gets us? That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, exactly. That's, um, you know, definitely a, a, a outworking of it. And there is a sense in which, you know, Hebrew says he does. Right. You know, Hebrews is so very clear about the fact that he, because, you know, he took on human flesh and he, he, he endured what we endured and tasted what we tasted, you know, tasted death for every man. Um, because of that, he can understand us. He can come mm-hmm. at, mm-hmm. at our situations from a sense of, of understanding what we're dealing with. But the way you phrase that, Brother Wickens, about it's, it's over cultural contextualization. It's putting him so much into our day that it becomes less of who he is and more of who we are. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, a, it's a comfort to know that Jesus is compassionate towards our afflictions and our hurts and our experiences, mm-hmm. but that's on a, a primarily human level. Right. Um, and, and, you know, it, I don't know, it's entirely possible to not see things through a Western 21st century perspective, but I think that's the, the endeavor that we have to undertake is to make sure that we're seeing Jesus as he is and not as we want him to be. So then my mind immediately runs to the question, and I don't want to cut you off in describing what you think the situation is. How do you do that? How do you address that? I don't mean you as a pastor. I mean, you as a Christian. Mm-hmm. Well, don't well, you think I, I that the Bible it's... says, well, I'm sorry, Martin, but w- when the Bible says to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, Christ, that's good. To me, what we have is a lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And when we mm-hmm. don't know, you know, I had this conversation and I don't want to be too um, in-depth about it because it, it wasn't a private conversation, but during our, our youth conference that we had here, I had a, a young lady walk up to me, probably about 14 years old. And it was the anniversary of the day that her mother had been murdered years ago. Um, it was a, it was a horrible, horrible situation. She just kind of right there, just, you know, boldly just said, you know, I go, I've been through a lot and I went, okay. And she said, how do I, I want to help other people. You know, it was kind of, it was a, it was an interesting way to start the conversation. And I, I was listening, thinking that's a, that's a lot to go through. And then for her to say, I want to help other people. Um, I don't know if the, it was the Holy Spirit or just past experience. I, I don't want to give credence one way or the other without being sure. But I felt in that moment that maybe she was seeking to help people so she could help herself. I know a lot of people who get into different programs and stuff to try to become teachers or certified when really those are the issues that maybe they struggle with. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. Um, and I looked at her and I said, you know, it's it's easy for us to to place the identity or to mis, to misunderstand the identity of Jesus Christ when we've been hurt really bad. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that is sometimes we wonder how could God have allowed that to happen, even so far as to project on Christ the nature of the perpetrator in our lives. Um, and I said, you know what I would rec- recommend that you do? So I would recommend that you get more into your Bible and more in love with Jesus, and you get to know who Jesus really is. Because oftentimes people who go through traumas or difficulties in life, they develop a skewed view of Christ. Either there's a bitterness there or, or whatever. Um, and so when we grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that is both 
the knowledge that we glean from the scripture and an experiential knowledge, you study that right. out. It, it is it is to take what scripture says and to obey and live by, it's to live by faith. I mean, that's the simplest way I have to put it. And in so doing, learn that Christ rewards the faith of his followers. And as that happens, and as Christ begins to reward, and as Christ begins to show us who he really is, we grow in our understanding of who he is and in the knowledge of who he is, both biblically and experientially. So I think Amen. what we have is, is we just have a lack of knowledge of who Jesus is. And that's that's a huge part of why we are making Christ relative to culture, to people in our lives, to our level. We want to bring him lower when, in fact, he is high and lifted up. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, that's that's the that's the answer that struck me when you asked that question, Tom. I don't know if that if that's the complete answer or not. Yeah, I, I think that that does bring it down to kind of the other level, not down, but it kind of brings it to a, the other level of not just a cultural perspective, but my personal experience. So like you said, mm-hmm. if I've gone through a life of hurt or if I've gone through a life of prosperity, um, that's going to have a bearing on how I perceive things. And you know, it's what Peter spoke about in First Peter 1, 5, about adding to our virtue knowledge. And mm-hmm. I think a big help is when you you look at how did how did how did a king relate to his god how did a farmer relate to his god how did a fisherman you know the the 12 apostles were about the most diverse group of mm-hmm. uh, individuals that you can think of in many ways and you know fishermen and academics and you know vigilantes i mean just a tremendous amount of difference there how did they all relate to Jesus? And I think that's where it broadens it out from solely my experience to the experience that others have had and the fellowship of the local church. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, I think it's a reason to get among other believers is to see how, you know, what is a housewife's relationship with the Lord and how does she perceive her savior and a businessman and, you know, all the different arenas of life that you meet in a, a healthy local church. Now, we've got some good comments on this, too. John Uteflesh says, in the context of lost people, I hear constantly that Jesus was just a good man, which drives me crazy, he says, because it's the most unreasonable view of Jesus possible. It reveals extensive ignorance when that view is pushed. And Brian says, biblical illiteracy is the reason for biblical ignorance, and that is true. Um, mm-hmm. And and there are, there are so many things to add to that, um, that thought that... While yes, he was a friend of sinners. He was. He was. He is still God. He. It, you mm-hmm. can't. You can't over. Man, how do I say this? I'm going to say it wrong. It's that. It's a delicate balance between the humanity and the um, divine nature of, of Christ. And I think sometimes we want. We want so much that friend that we forget that he is Lord. And mm-hmm. you have to take all those things into context. You know. So that's one thing. I, I have one. I'll throw in here so that we can get to Tom's masterpiece of a question here in a moment or statement. And that is this. And, and Martin, you kind of gave me this idea, but that is that, that Jesus is anti-established or organized religion. I think that's a misunderstanding of scripture. Oh yeah. Because Jesus kept the law. Okay. Jesus, Jesus was in the temple. Jesus was, was 100% engrossed in um, the worship of God uh, as it as it was laid out for his people, the Jewish people. Not only that, now he fulfilled the law, and yes, that there's a lot of changes that came with that. 
But not only that, what happened right after he fulfilled the law and ascended into heaven, he organized the church. And this mm-hmm. is where if we say that, you know, yes, it's true that that organized religion has become a replacement for the relationship that we should have with Christ. It, it's it's certainly a fair point, but we can't overemphasize. We can't overcorrect. I like we like that that term. We can't swing our vehicle into the ditch on the other side of the road, which is to say that that organized religion or church assemblies or whatever are unbiblical, ungodly, and Jesus wouldn't have been for that because he was for that. He was a part of that in his day, and he organized it in the local church. And so Jesus is not anti-religion. He's anti the wrong religion. I, I, and I have mm-hmm. always had that little kind of... Uh, turn in my stomach when I hear people say that, you know, religion is, religion is the devil's idea. I'm like, yeah, but the Bible says there is a pure religion that's undefiled. And so we can't throw the term out (laughs) because it's still a good term. Religion's not a bad word unless it's man's religion and not God's. I think that comes into play where Paul talks about another gospel, right? Certainly we're not for another gospel, but yeah, I think it's been used in a good way of, of Christ. Go ahead, Martin. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. It's uh, I'll blame uh, lag on the internet, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I know my own past used to say that Christianity isn't a religion; it's a relationship, and I understand that completely. I agree completely with the 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 sentiment behind it. But like you said, I mean, James talks about pure religion and undefiled, so it's about going about it in the the right way. And so, like I said, I, I like the phrase; I know what it means, but at the same time. Um, I think there's a, a, a deeper analysis we need to take of it. And I agree with everything you were saying. What do you it's think, Tom? How, do you agree? No, I, I do. I, it's interesting how, how people who are against the organized aspects of society want to embrace Jesus as if he's some, and I've preached and I've taught and I've written, he was a revolutionary, not a reformer, but they want to, I mean that in a theological sense, not in a political sense, but they want to embrace that side of him you know, the side of him that was against everything and use that as their excuse to tear down everything organized around them, mm-hmm. which is just taking one little sliver of who Jesus was, wrenching it completely out of theological and political context for that matter, and then running with it. And anytime mm-hmm. we take Jesus, and this is why it is so important that we figure out who Jesus is in the Bible, not who we want him to be. Mm-hmm. You know, the classic making, creating a God in your own image, we can't just pull out this part of Jesus or this part of Jesus or this part, you know, your statement earlier about growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ or Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As we, as we see that picture more and more clearly, we see the forest so to, to borrow another illusion. We will understand him better and thus become him better. It was an old Anglican commentator back in the 1800s. And he, um, he said, he, who knows Christ, best makes the best christian Mm. and you know that's exactly what you were saying we've got to see jesus as he is in the bible and not as we would want him to be or as a particular part of our agenda wants to grab hold of and overemphasize first john we should we'll be like him when we see him as he is yes Mm -hmm. i understand the context is eschatological but i think there's clear implication to uh, clear application to sanctification there the more clearly we see that yesterday yeah, the the, mm. the 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 more we'll become like him. Yeah, we're getting some good comments here. Daniel Ward says we don't fully realize how holy Christ is, and that's true. 
Um, mm-hmm. Josh Patrick makes this statement, and Josh, I, I would say I agree with you with a caveat. It says Jesus is not anti-religion, but he's certainly anti-complacency, which is largely what organized church religion is. And that's true. So I would say that anytime that there's an organized religion that is just simple, simply complacency, then then that's not that's not what Christ is. It's not who he is. It's not what he would want. But sometimes I think we also slap labels on on the whole. We broad brush. We all do it. And yes. you know, we get upset because we get broad brushed. But the, the fact of the matter is, is I'm I'm guilty of it as well. And that is that that um God God established the organized church and the church is to be done decently in order. So, so not every church is perfect. You know, I mean, it's funny because we, we decide things should be a certain way and, and you can always tell when someone doesn't understand a local church mentality or a local church doctrine philosophy. Yes. You know, I've got someone right now who's very, very angry at me because we won't let this individual be a member of the choir without joining the church. And I'm like, well, why don't you want to join the church? Does that mean you just want to go around and sing in everybody's choir? You know, and so, so those kind of things, th- those are the extremes, you know, it's, it's easy to point out the extremes. They're the easiest things that we see, but um, yes, Josh, I agree with your statement that Jesus is anti-complacency. 100%. Well, doesn't, doesn't revelation point that out because our lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. Yes, absolutely. That's his words directly. Here's a misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. Here's a misunderstanding about Jesus from Brock, uh, pastor Henry. He says something I think that is misunderstood is that Jesus essentially said the same things over and over and taught the same principles over and over again. But that was because Christ was an an itinerant preacher preaching similar sermons in multiple locations. And he says, it helped me immensely when comparing the gospels, they do not have to say the same things verbatim to be accurate and true. So I guess what I'm, what I'm hearing from that Brock, and I want to make sure that I'm understanding that is that Christ's approach was more of an evangelist approach, whereas pastors are called to preach the whole counsel of God. Is that does that make sense with what what you guys are hearing, Brock? Maybe I took from it. I'm not. I'm not looking at it. Um, right. His his statement, but I took from it the there is a battle between, you know, how do I? This goes back to being a pastor, which we're trying to avoid. But how do I say the same thing without without sounding like I'm saying the same thing? Yeah. Okay. There you go. And and the I, fact that go ahead, Martin. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, the fact that there's clearly things that Jesus emphasizes in his time on earth, in his earthly career, and I think the church is the body of Christ. He's the head of the Christ is the head of the church. We are, our churches ought to reflect Christ, not just in the way we live, but in what we emphasize. So we should emphasize what he emphasized. I agree that he was an itinerant preacher, and that's not exactly the same as a pastoral ministry. But I think you can take the things that he emphasized and emphasize them in a pastoral ministry by being, what was the word used earlier in the podcast, creative, by 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 sitting oh, down yes. and thinking and planning, you know, how can I get these emphases across without just simply being boring and saying the same thing I said last time? Yes. Yeah. And I'm actually in a struggle with that right now. The I just feel like I'm kind of stuck in one lane. And I know at the same time, I feel it's where God wants me. And so that's kind of a, it's like, okay, Lord, if you want me here, what do you want me to say about this? Cause I just said this last week, you know, but um, I was talking to a, a pastor friend about ending the message and we were talking about how we structure sermons and prepare. And, and I said, right now, it feels like every sermon at the end, I'm just saying, if you're not saved, get saved. If you are yeah. saved, do what Jesus says. <laughs> um, but you know, yeah. which is, you know, I, I, 
I completely agree with that. And, and that's true. So Brock, I hope I didn't misrepresent your statement. I, I am, if I did let me know, I'll correct it, but I think it's still good, good input either way it's, it's put. Now this is a good one for us to talk about. Huge misconception is that Jesus never addressed gender and sexuality. That's a big one. Hmm. Cause I'm seeing that Jesus was mute on this subject. I heard literally a video recording. I watched it of a pastor saying that this past week. And I'm like, he, he so what, what do they do with, what do they do with, you know, yeah. man and wife? Yeah. In, no, that in his, in his statement, where he's quoting Genesis chapter one. Right. Right. Isn't, yeah. Oh, and that, that was what I always go to. He says male and female created he them. Right. And a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. That is a male right. leaving his family and cleaving to his wife, a female. He, he affirmed what the Bible mm-hmm. already said. And of course, if you think the old Testament is irrelevant, then, then you can take the position that Jesus never dealt with it. The other thing that you should understand is that, you know, God inspired his word and the new Testament deals thoroughly with the subject. So I, I, I don't, I don't get where that, that, that sermon clip comes from because it's, it's often thrown out by more liberal religious folks. It's cover. They're just looking. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Huge misconception. Correct. Is that Jesus never dealt with it. He did deal with it. It's recorded in, in the Gospels. Yeah, definitely very clearly, like you said, said male and female and, and didn't leave the door open for male and female and other, you know, there's there's the two categories and it's just very clear if you take God's word as being plainly what's written on the page. Right. So, Tom, let's get to your misconception. So you said first. this was... The, and, uh, that what I had come up with, you hadn't looked at it before we got on this morning. I had written it down that it was similar to what you were thinking. Yeah, it was something I thought would be good to bring up. And then uh, apparently there were two pages of notes and I only saw one. So no worries. So the way this, the reason I think that this is one of the most misunderstood things about Jesus is because if you stop nine out of 10 Christians and ask them what the unforgivable sin is, you're going to get a wrong answer. Mm. Mm-hmm. And maybe 95 out of 100. Because there's something fundamental there about Christ that is misunderstood. And the proof is everybody's confused about what that is. Mm. I've counseled people who thought they'd committed it and lost their salvation. It, it's, it just, it's heartbreaking. So that passage is in Matthew. That story is in Matthew chapter 12. I think Matthew chapter 12 is one of the most important passages in the entire New Testament. And because of what it, it's it's sort of a pivot point in the life of Christ. Things change after that. So in Matthew chapter 12, he's accused of doing his the his miraculous works in the power of Satan. Mm-hmm. And and of course, the unforgivable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So when when you work this way back and uh, several interesting things about one is that he was never accused of not doing the miraculous works. Right. Everybody knew he had done them. It was just a question of what power did he use to do them? And so it was a very brilliant attack by the Pharisees to essentially assert that from now on, every evidence of his miraculous power is demonic, which means Mm -hmm. the miracles were signs supposed to authenticate him to the Jewish people. But now if you swallow that, if that if the people as a whole swallow that explanation, every further miracle Jesus does is but more proof that he's demonic. And the unforgivable sin, to put it briefly, was the rejection of Jesus by the people, the Jewish people of his day, by ascribing what he did to the power of the devil rather than the power of the spirit. 
Mm. Which leads mm. to my point. I think one of the most misunderstood things, misunderstood things about Christ is that he did what he did in the power of the Holy Spirit <clears throat> and not in his, for lack of a better word, native power as God. Divine nature. Correct. Was Jesus God? Yes. Yes. Is Jesus God? Yes. yes. Was he God when he was on earth? Yes. But did he limit aspects of his deity? Yes. And I've had people disagree with me about that. And I'm like, so he was everywhere at once. And he wasn't. And, and, and you're taking the passages where you say Jesus clearly had to learn things. God's never learned anything. Jesus did. Doesn't mean Jesus isn't God. It means he laid aside aspects of his deity. One of those things he laid aside, I believe, from Scripture is his his omnipotence, his power. And when he walked on earth as a man among men, as the God man among men, the things that he did, not just the miraculous things he did, but the way he lived his life, always doing his father's will, he did under the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that was the whole accusation in Matthew chapter 12, that he did it in the power of the devil. And he's very clear he does it in the power of the Spirit. That's that's right. a, a, a statement that's found other places. Luke chapter 4, he was guided by the Spirit. He was empowered by the Spirit later on in Luke chapter number 4. Acts chapter number 10. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about mm -hmm. doing good and healing all that were oppressed. Um, Isaiah chapter 11 says, Isaiah chapter 61 says, he would be endued with power from on high. Um, and so I think that there are many people who think, okay, so Jesus lived this holy life that he lived because he's God. And and, and I, I agree that God is impeccable, and you know, and it gets a little fuzzy at this point, you know, could he or could he not commit sin? I don't believe that God can commit sin, but he wasn't all points tempted like as we are. And so there was some reality to that temptation. Mm -hmm. So how did he resist it? He didn't resist it because he was God. He resisted it because he yielded the Holy Spirit, just like we're taught to do in Romans chapter six, seven and eight. So, OK, first, of all, I want to make sure that it was clear what you said, because I thought I heard you say that you didn't believe he did all everything in the power of the Holy Spirit. But you do. I do. believe that that he did his miracles. He resisted temptation. I he do. lived his life in the fullness of the spirit. Correct. Yeah. So that's fair point. So let me ask you this. When there were times when Jesus knew what his disciples were thinking, he knew what the Pharisees were thinking. Yes. And they were amazed mm -hmm. that, that he knew like verbatim what they had just said or whatever. And in that process, you know, there was, there was all kinds of confusion. Do you think that the Holy spirit gave him that knowledge or do you think that he just had it? I don't think he just had it because he obviously had to learn things. Mm -hmm. God is omniscient. Jesus was not. He had to right. learn things, number one. Number two, there are, th there are statements he makes in the Bible where he says he doesn't know everything. And I'm just right. bracing myself for all kinds of nasty emails at this point. It's not that he wasn't God, but he said, for instance, when would be the time of, uh, of his coming? He said, neither. Uh, he said, I don't know the day or the hour. Right. Yeah. And I don't remember the reference to that off the top of my head. So how does he know what people are thinking then if he's laid that aside? Two answers mm -hmm. to that. One is, yes, the Holy Spirit can tell him what people are thinking. But secondly, he was the most brilliant student of human nature that has ever existed. Sure. He the Bible says he knew what was in man. Mm. And so he could look at someone and based upon, you know how we read Sherlock Holmes, Arthur Conan Doyle wrote Sherlock Holmes, and he would, and this is a terrible illustration to liken Christ to Sherlock Holmes, but he could he could look at someone and walk through what they were wearing and 
you know, the what was the condition of the cuff of their sleeve and identify sure. what they did with a living vastly expand that Jesus knew human nature and he knew people and he could look at people and put two and two together in a way. So as to know what people were thinking when they didn't want him to know what they were thinking. Right. So you think that there were both observational powers. You think that, of course, you're right. When you say he grew, he grew in wisdom, stature and favor with God and men. Right. He was a student. So there's no question about right. that. And at the age of 30, um, do you think he had all knowledge? At that no, point? no. He, he says he doesn't. He says well, he doesn't know okay, the day or the, the hour. Sense that he doesn't know. Right. So right. if there's anything he if there's anything he says he doesn't know, then he doesn't know everything. And I'm not trying to fight you on it. I'm I'm trying to point out the. I don't I don't want to say play devil's advocate because that no, doesn't I'm, seem appropriate in the right, conversation. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> but my my question then is, you know, the son doesn't know the day or the hour, but only the father. Okay, that that was what he was saying. Right. Do you think that's still true? No. You think the son knows in heaven? Absolutely. Now, is he still man in heaven? Yes, I believe that he's still man in heaven. And that's a whole other conversation. I just preached. To, I've been preaching through Hebrews. and There's a lot about the incarnation in chapter one, and chapter two, especially chapter two. Um, he's still the son of man. But those those parts of his deity that he laid aside, so to speak, when he humbled himself, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, became obedient right. to death, even the death of the cross. Those things he has from my understanding, picked back up. Yeah. Okay. So Katie has a, a good statement, and I, th and I think this is there's a reasonable uh, response to it. She says a popular teaching among charismatic churches is that Jesus gave up his divinity on earth and did every work in the power of the Holy Spirit up to and including raising the dead. And therefore, if Christians are spirit-filled, we can do all the works that Jesus did. And this is a dangerous teaching. I agree with that. Katie's right. It's a dangerous teaching. Just because the charismatics are wrong about that aspect of the teaching doesn't mean the point is wrong that he did what he did in the power of the spirit. One of the things that I'm not accusing Katie of this at all, but one of the things that I have seen Baptists as a whole do in my lifetime is shy away from talking about or preaching about or emphasizing the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. because the charismatics have and we don't want to be viewed as charismatic. Right. right? The, the, what's the response to the being in the wrong ditch? It's not to be in the ditch on the other side. Right. Right. We don't want to think we don't want to be guilty of ignoring the spirit or what the spirit does. So what is the answer to Katie's specific point or what is what is the response to that? I think, Brother Russ, you have that already. I don't even need to tell you. Well, that's the cessation issue, right? So right. those gifts have ceased and the charismatics don't believe that they have, they have ceased. Correct. So they still speak in tongues. They still they still. Mm -hmm essentially believe in miracles. We're not saying that Jesus couldn't do that. Um, he could, he did. Uh, we're not saying that we can, even though we have the same Holy Spirit, but how the Holy Spirit operates is different in our dispensation than it was when Jesus walked the earth. But the reason that this, that this misunderstood fact about Christ matters is precisely that, not that we should go out and be raising people from the dead, right. but that we should be living who was it you referenced earlier in our comment thread talked about what's misunderstood as the holiness of Christ. How can we right. become holy like Christ in the power of the spirit? Paul references the Holy spirit, what 16 times in the first 14 verses of Romans chapter eight. And he hadn't referenced it at all in the whole book of Romans before that, because it's all the Holy spirit that empowers us to live out the gospel, to have Christ live through us. 
when we look at Christ and we say, well, of course, he forgave all of his enemies. He was Jesus. Right. But we have the same Holy Spirit in us that he had in him that enabled him to forgive all of his enemies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's why I think this matters, because now then it pulls away our justification to say, well, you can't expect me to be perfect. Yeah. And and, okay, that is where I was actually thinking where this is just really applicable, right? Is that is that Jesus resisted the devil the same way that we're supposed to resist the devil? Absolutely. Jesus, Jesus was was endued with power the same way that we get power. He went to the mountain and he prayed and he received power. And all of those things are consistent. Uh, it, it is it, I, the one of the reasons I love hearing Tom Brennan talk is because he is by nature a dogmatic person. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, no, I I enjoy it, um, and I and I appreciate that. I think I think people are still going to have questions after everything yeah, I you have said. To, to what what you said about Tom? I think he is dogmatic about things that you've researched thoroughly yes. and confident on is what the Bible teaches, but you are, you're gracious with that yes. dogmatism. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I want to stick up for you here. I mean, no, I no, I appreciate Steven. the clarification no, no, because that, that mean, actually but, is so true. There have been times where you've said, uh, I don't know if I'm, if I'm studied enough on that issue to really have a conversation about it. And I'm, I appreciate that as well. Um, mm. I think one of the key things with this as well is that Jesus was God. I mean, there's no, right. that's a very clear thing. And Jesus was, you know, man, so he could be our substitute and sacrifice. And there are some areas here where, you know, the discussion around kenosis, Philippians 2, there are some elements of the finer details, which are, are very difficult to discuss and, and to really clarify. So, um, you know, I, I yeah. think, what we're going through here is, is very worthwhile. And it's been, you know, very helpful. A couple of comments I'll, I'll throw in here. We can discuss them and then um, move on. If we, if we so desire, Steve Clark makes a very good statement. God's sovereignty is amazing. And he has the power to do things that we do not have the power to do. And he used that power in the flesh. Okay. Brian says, I've done some research that suggests the statement of not knowing the hour was a cultural, cultural idiom for basically saying none of your business used in Jesus's day. He said, I don't think Jesus's statement should be interpreted as he doesn't actually know the day and the hour. Jesus said, I and the father are one. What do you think about that? Well, he and the father are one, but just because the Trinity is still true in Jesus's lifetime doesn't mean he wasn't limited in some ways. We've already spoken. Yeah. He was limited in, in physical space and he mm-hmm. had to learn. And God has never done either of those. He's never been limited in physical space and he's never learned anything, which doesn't yeah. mean Jesus wasn't God. It means he limited those things. Well, it's, it's like this, God does not need us, Paul said, but Jesus said, I need a donkey. I need to go through Samaria. Well, he, yeah, because he needed to fulfill his father's will. Correct. That, that's the whole point of that, right? And that was, that was the ultimate point of, of what I preached on yesterday, just in yeah, case. I see what you're saying. Oh, yeah. So it was, it was that the Lord hath need of him. You know, right. someone said this too in Luke's gospel, Jesus, anytime he used the word Lord, always used it to refer to his father. Others used it to refer to him, but he never used it for himself. And so when he said, tell them the Lord hath need of him, that that meant that this donkey was for the purpose of fulfilling the will of my father. It's an interesting thing. And I I said what I said from the perspective of I'm satisfied with the conclusion that it draws. There may be another way to get there, right? I think the larger point is that the incarnation, one of the purposes of the incarnation 
the primary purpose, as I understand the word of God, is that it could die for us. How do you kill God? You can't kill God. Right. Psalm 2, he that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh. How are you going to attack God? Battle of Armageddon. Right. Is God going to be hurt by whatever's left of humanity launching nuclear weapons at him? No. So how do you kill God? He has to take on human form. But that's not the only purpose of the incarnation. Clearly, the book of Hebrews tells us one of the purposes of the incarnation was so that we could point to him and say, he lived right in spite of being tempted, and so can we. Mm-hmm. Which means he had to he had to be our example in how we follow him in being like him, that we do it as he did it. How did yes. he do it? Has to be how we do it. How do we do it in the power of the Spirit? That's how he did it. How do I know? Because of all the references in the New Testament and because of that whole passage in Matthew chapter 12 about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 came to mind as you were saying that, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he may, <coughs> excuse me, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. And, and you that, study that word behooved, it means yeah. this had to happen. Yeah. This is, you know. That flows out of earlier in Hebrews chapter two, where he says that that essentially we're the brethren of the son. We yep. become not that, that Christ is our father, which makes Jesus our brother, which, which links us. Why? Because he's yeah. incarnate, right? Verse 10. Verse 10, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Bringing many sons unto glory. We're the brother brethren of the son. That word became him in verse number 10 means it fitted him. Right. You know how you see someone and, and they're dressed in an outfit that doesn't fit them, you know, or they're they're doing something. If I broke into a ballet dance at the moment, everybody would barely be scratching their head. You know, it just doesn't fit who I am, right? It it fitted him to bring many sons unto glory. It became him. I've really come to enjoy the book of Hebrews recently. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good discussion today. And that last one, that's a that's the ringer. I think that takes the cake for the for the discussion itself. Like we said, very candid, very raw, very in the moment. It's the way we like it. <laughs> you guys have anything to add before we uh, close it down today? No, um, no, just one last response. Uh, John said that, you know, Jesus did say, if I, your Lord and master, um, referring to himself as Lord. But I think where that's used in John 13, Jesus has said, you call me master and Lord. If then I'm your master and Lord, yes. then. So I don't think he's, he's attributing it to himself. He's saying, you've called me this. Therefore, on that basis, you know, you should follow what I'm, I'm showing you. Yeah, so and, I, I and think also, it's just consistent with your usage of it. Yeah, and also my statement was that in Luke's gospel, Jesus never referred mm-hmm. to himself as Lord. That, so you know, I, just, I think that holds a little bit of weight, but that's a fair point as well for John to bring up. And mm-hmm. um, certainly. Well, we've enjoyed the time on a Monday. It's always, a, it's always nice to come off of a, um, a good Sunday and spend some time with our listeners. And we've had mm-hmm. quite a few folks tuning in, lots of comments. I'm sorry we didn't get to them all. I know that there were several more that we could have gotten to. Um, but we are appreciative and just thankful for the opportunity to have a little bit of a, um, a moment to speak into some lives today. And we, uh, we don't take it lightly. So thank you to all of our listeners and thank you for listening to the Issues Podcast.